Learn about the strides female entrepreneurs of color are making. Be inspired by their story and enlightened by their leadership insight and advice. Welcome to Winners United, your one-stop shop for business, mindset, personal development, and self-care conversations. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, and I am excited that you're listening today. I hope you find this information useful, and if you do, it would make my day to hear from you. Go over to winhersunited.com and leave me a message in the contact form. I would love for you to share your takeaways and your thoughts with me. Now let's get on with what you came here for. This is season seven, episode two, entitled Commit to Inner Work with Tammy Charles. All right, so Tammy, welcome. We appreciate you joining us today and we're excited to learn more about you and your journey. Thank you so, so much, Nicole, for having me. I am incredibly honored and excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. All right, so let's get started by you telling us, us about your background and what you currently do professionally. So my background, I like to say it's a hodgepodge mix of a lot of different things. Um, it's like jambalaya. <laughs> <laughs> I am a nonprofit consultant professional, so I do a lot of consulting with nonprofits and social impact work. My background is really in business management. I got my master's. And my undergrad was in business management, but I, I did, I got those two degrees with the desire to get into social impact work. So I wanted to take all the models, everything that I was learning in order to create a better world. And so after I got my master's, I started out in nonprofit, doing a lot of fundraising work, fell in love with it. And I realized that so much of what I was learning, I wanted to share with multiple organizations, not just one. So I decided to go off on my own as a consultant and really teach nonprofit leaders to raise dollars in order to produce impact in the world and the community. So that's really the core of my consulting practices around fund development, strategic planning, and board development. All the division is to, to see these organizations create long-lasting, sustainable impact on their communities and the world at large. Awesome. That sounds great. Definitely work that's needed, right? Especially for the organizations that you assist. So tell me, and this is going off the script a little bit. Now, my <laughs> master's is in business administration, but I'm not sure I ever heard business management. What's the, do you know the difference there? Oh, so I think I usually say business management, but the technical term is business administration. Okay. My undergrad was in business management. Yeah, I tend to use those two interchangeably. That's just my weird way of saying that. Okay, so basically, I'm like, look, wait, what did I miss? I thought I missed. <laughs> and you have newly formed degree. That's what I, that's Tammy's degree. <laughs> All right, so... I think you may have answered this question, but let's see if you have a little more to add to it in reference to how you ended up in your current profession. So in, in consulting specifically? Yes. Mm -hmm. So that story is a favorite of mine and it, it, it's one that has humbled me because when I was starting out my career in fundraising, I was with an organization locally here focused on homelessness and I transitioned to another organization and I ended up actually getting laid off. And what's so interesting about that is that experience was very traumatizing because I remember the first thing that I thought was, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay my bills? I was in the process of looking for a new place. But what's so interesting is I remember when I got that second job, literally around the first day or first month, God told me, you're not going to be here for long. Mm. I remember hearing that so clearly and God spoke a really huge word over my life. And I just kind of, you know, ignored it <laughs> and not really paid attention to it. Don't do that. Like pay attention when, when, you know, God speaks. But I remember when I, you know, I was having a lot of issues at my, my previous role and I got laid off and I was like, oh my gosh. And the first couple of days I was feeling super angry. I was like, what am I going to do? And I had a dear friend reach out to me and said, hey, let's meet up. We had already scheduled a coffee together. She said, let's meet up. And I said, okay. So we met up 
And I ended up getting my first client a week after I got laid off. My second client a week after that. And then I realized, oh, I think I need a, this is, this is my job. This is what I need to be doing is consulting. And since then, I have had a consistent kind of like wealth of c customers since then. It has, I, I'm actually busier than ever. And it's just been such a blessing. Wow. You gave me chills. I have chills, right? Yeah. I love that. And I'm so amazed at how so many women's story is, I was laid off. You know, yeah. initially I was upset. I wondered how I was going to make it. But then even the, the consensus of God told me I needed to be an entrepreneur, but I wasn't ready or I didn't want to listen. Right. So I'm just so amazed at that. And I love how what could be a defeating moment ends up being a triumphant moment. Like I, that always warms my heart to hear those stories. That's right. Yes. So tell us what you wanted to be when you grew up. You know, I actually always, and I remember this, I know some people when they get this question, they're like, I don't know, but I remember, I think my first <laughs> dream was a princess. I think everybody, <laughs> every young girl wants to be a princess. But I remember when I was like in second or third grade, I've always wanted to be an author. Mm. I remember I, I loved to read. Oh my goodness. I was a bookworm. I love, love, love to read. I loved reading the Bible too. It was very interesting. Like I loved reading the, the New Testament around like seven, eight years old. But I remember wanting to be an author. I've always wanted to write my own books. And I remember it's because I was exposed to Maya Angelou at a very young age. Mm -hmm. My father had her book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And I remember doing a book report on her and being so inspired by her story and saying, this is why I need to be an author. So that was what I wanted to do ever since I was a you know, little girl. Nice. So have you made that happen yet? You know, I mean, it is a goal of mine. I, I definitely want to write books. I, I'm intimidated by the process. I have a lot of respect for people who have written and published books. I am intimidated, but I know there is a story in my soul that I want to share with the world. So it, it'll come. I'm just giving myself as much time as possible. Okay. Thanks for that. Yes. I heard, I heard the first one is the hardest, but once you get that first one out of you, the rest of them just continues to flow. So I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Thank I know that's me. I, I started it back in 2018 and I put it down and I'm scared to pick it back up. I'm back and forth. So I can yeah. understand. Definitely. All right. So tell us about the upbringing you had as a child. So my childhood it's another part of my story that I feel like has shaped me and I'm having, I'm not afraid to share my story because I think it's extremely important. So I grew up from, you know, I grew up in a Haitian family. I'm the youngest of four siblings. So they always say the youngest is the craziest. So I guess I'm the craziest <laughs> of four siblings, but I, I grew up in a very difficult home, like a very difficult culture. I was abused with every type of abuse before I was six or seven. I was sexually abused, physical abuse. And, and I remember like fasting, fast forward to my early twenties. I remember again, that spiritual voice, God telling me that it was time for me to engage my story. Mm. And my twenties were tough. I just turned 30 and thank God, man. <laughs> like, I think I was, I think my whole body was waiting to turn 30 because my twenties was just all of dealing with and unraveling my childhood and dealing with the trauma of feeling rejected, feeling rejected at school, being bullied, and then also dealing with going home and dealing with the verbal abuse that I, that I dealt with. And my brother and I dealt with that. So my brother and I, we had the same father, and then I have two older sisters, and we have different fathers. So it was really my brother and I who lived together, and it was a very, very difficult time for me. And, you know, I think one of the things that I always remind myself is it's a difficult part of my story, but it has going through the healing process. Something I think is extremely important that we all go through is it has shaped me and humbled me and has given me a heart and soul for the work that I do. And I also feel like it's important to share that part of my story because I want people to know that no matter where you come from or no matter what you have gone through, it's not the end of your story. 
Like there is, there is, there is a part of us that needs to recognize that yes, like my my story has been littered with rejection, littered with trauma, littered with so much pain. But I can turn that pain into good for the world, and it takes time to get there. But when you get there, you are a force for change. Yes. So that that's that's a part of my story that has shaped me. But I I, I it's hard to say I'm grateful it happened because I don't think I'm there necessarily yet. But I can say that it's definitely shaped who I am as a person, most definitely. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah, I like to say it's a few things, right? With mine, it's like, I'm glad I don't look like what I've been through, right? Because yes. <laughs> I can relate to, you know, just going through a lot of things as well as a child, definitely sexual abuse, not necessarily physical, kind of in relationships here or there, but, you know, that led into drug abuse and alcoholism and, you know, just dealing with that stuff and just being grateful, like you said, that it doesn't have to be the end of the road unless we allow it to be, right? It can be the end of the road, but we have that choice and we're still valuable regardless of what we go through. And another thing I like to say is we go through to help others get through. So it's always a reason for our pain and we have to figure out how to turn it into a purpose. So Thanks for sharing and being transparent with us. So Thank tell you. us about a pivotal point in your life and how it shaped who you are today. Hmm, that's a really great question. I would say a pivotal point in my life, 2011, I took a trip to Haiti. So I said, uh, you know, my parents, they, they were, they're from Haiti. I am a proud Haitian woman. <laughs> and I took a trip to Haiti in 2011 it was a year after the earthquake mm. and so it was a group of us who went because we wanted to help you know rebuild and, and restore some of the communities that were affected and so it was my first time as an adult going to haiti and i remember when we got to the airport it was very chaotic it was an eye-opening moment and you know on television you see abject poverty like you see it but it's, it's a totally different experience when you see it firsthand. Mm. So I remember leaving the airport and I had to use a bathroom really badly. I had to <laughs> use the bathroom. So I went to a porta potty and it was one of the most egregious experiences. I mean, it was unreal just how just chaotic the airport was. And so we were going from the airport, which is where the capital, close to the capital, Port-au-Prince, to a, to a small village called Saia, which is in Leogan, which is the epicenter of the earthquake. Wow. And as we were driving, well, I wasn't driving, but they were driving us, a group of us, to Leogan, I saw tent cities. Mm. I saw children playing in muddy water. I mean, every time I share this story, I still get so emotional mm. because it enlightened something within myself that made me realize, wow, now I know why I'm so passionate about philanthropy and social impact, because this is unacceptable. Mm. And I remember in that moment when I got back, so this was right before I was going to start my master's program, I realized that this, the knowledge that I am going to get is going to be used to change the world. And I've done work in Haiti. Like, so I, I, I started a couple of initiatives in Haiti and it hasn't worked out just yet. I'm still trying to figure out what my role is within that context. But that pivotal moment is why I do, it is my why. Like if someone asks me what my why is, I talk about Haiti. So that moment changed me and it defined my purpose. Like I know that what I'm doing today is to, it leads to a greater purpose, which is to serve humanity and make an impact. Mm. So, Yes. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I hear people when they talk about going on different mission trips and, mm. you know, just seeing that. And then it, it makes you, well, I've heard it makes people, cause I can't speak like I know, right. I haven't been mm-hmm. per se, but I've been, you know, to other places and seen things, but I've, I'm learning that it gives you an appreciation for what we have realizing that it's not the same across the board. I mean, even us as people of color, we know as far as like how things aren't the same, right? But I love how you've turned it into a personal purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And really want to make a change a change in that area. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So tell us what you would consider to be a strength of yours and a weakness and let us know what you do to get around your weakness. 
<laughs> That's a very compelling question. <laughs> I would say a strength of mine. So we'll start with the good and then the, <laughs> you know, a strength of mine. And if, if you were to ask me this question, like, a year ago, even two years ago, I would have been like, I have no strengths. I only have weaknesses. So that's probably a weakness of mine. I only see my weaknesses. But I think today with, you know, dealing with going through my healing process, I'm beginning to embrace who and how God made me. And one thing that I, I would say is a strength is that I'm very purpose driven. Like everything that I do, it needs to benefit someone. It needs to make an impact. And the reason why I love that as a strength is that that is what sustains me. Because mm -hmm. if you're just driven by money, for example, you know, money helps do a lot of things. It pays for the bills. It, you know, it, it, it can be a force for change. But if money is just the only driver, I don't think, it, I, I don't think you're motivated of sustain. It doesn't sustain your motivation. But I think there's something about being driven by purpose that sustains your work, sustains your confidence. I think being driven by purpose has helped me even, like I mentioned earlier about confidence, it has helped me gain confidence in what I do because I know that God put me on earth to do what I do, which is to help companies and help people. So I would say that as a strength. Now, to counteract that at times, a weakness of mine is that I at times am very, I'm extremely hard on myself and I really struggle with self-esteem. I'm actually working with an incredible life coach and I remember when we met, she asked me, what are your goals? And I told her, I want to go from 0.5 in self-esteem to at least a seven or an eight. I know that, you know, my issues with self-esteem is really attached to what I've been through as a child. And just as many times, like I, I struggle with believing in myself and that counteracts my, me believing in my purpose. So I think for me, if I could just believe in my identity, my worthiness, I could see so much, there's so much more potential that I could achieve, but I, I do struggle a whole lot with my self-esteem. I do. Okay, thanks for sharing that. You know, I'm amazed because you are doing an awesome job to be struggling. You know, you make the struggle look easy. I'll just say that, right? And I just really appreciate you sharing that because a person from the outside looking in Mm -hmm. may not realize that a lot of the different struggles that a person who isn't doing all of the amazing things you're doing, like you may still experience those, right? So to me, that's, that could inspire someone to move forward anyhow. Like, yeah. even if you don't feel the greatest, still move forward. Cause to me, I, I'm having a hard time understanding how <laughs> you achieved all of this stuff, but yet sometimes you feel this way, right? So that just shows that you don't have to let things hold you back. You can still move forward and figure it out as you go. So I, I love that. And I love that you're continuing forward anyhow. And I love that you keep referencing your healing, right? Because I do agree that with healing, we learn more things. We see things differently. We find our self-worth. We believe in our value, right? And sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. So I love that you're continuing forward, regardless of how you may feel on the back end. So kudos to you. you for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And I think you did ask on the back end, you know, how am I addressing my weakness? Did you ask yeah. that question? Mm -hmm. I think you were asking that. And I want to address that because this is something that I share, especially with people that I'm mentoring and, and students, up and coming leaders is the way I deal with my self-esteem is there's there's two ways. There's a way in which I... I have, a, I have a circle of community. I have a positive support network. So I have a therapist and a life coach who's really dealing with the, the psychological aspects. And also there's a part where I have to hold myself accountable and responsible to my healing. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've learned is the process is an active process. It's intentional. So I have had to, in, in many ways, find, create rule. There's a concept called rule of life where you have to ask yourself, what are the practices do I need to engage in in order for me to address my lack of self-esteem? So it's prayer, it's personal retreats, it's writing, it's all of med meditation, um, affirmations, all those pieces have helped me kind of like get into the, get at the root of what is, what is 
causing me to not have self-esteem. So it's, it has been an active journey. I think we need to recognize that we're not going to wake up and, oh, I'm, I feel great about myself. It really, <laughs> really is. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe I feel that way, but it really, really is an active pursuit, you know, of inner healing. So it's been a journey for me. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. And I do agree because I've suffered the same, right? And some days it's like, you know, even when we joined this call and you're telling me how much of a rock star you feel like I am, I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> but sometimes you need to hear that. And it's good to have those people that are from the outside looking in, right? So that's amazing because I can be hard on myself too. So mm-hmm. totally relate. Mm-hmm. All right. So tell us what you're currently doing to improve yourself personally and or professionally. So th- that question came at a great time too, because one of my, I don't want to call it New Year's resolutions, (laughs) even though it was kind of like a New Year's resolution. One of the main goals that I had for myself was to really commit to inner work because I, I really feel like, you know, it's great to have degrees and to learn and to, to do all these different things and to grow in your knowledge. But, you know, true, true work is done. You're, you're able to maximize your potential when you are able to really address healing from within. Mm-hmm. I think it's great to have you know, notoriety. Those things are great. But a person who has truly dealt with their inner world is able to see their outer world differently. And when I started my business, I realized that my insecurity and my lack of self-esteem was counteracting my impact. Mm-hmm. So maybe I wouldn't take on this project or I wouldn't speak up. And it just started to kind of affect my ability to really be an advocate okay. and really speak truth. So th- I decided to take a step back from work a little bit, even though that was super hard to do. But the time that I did carve out, I decided to really take on more therapy sessions and, and have more therapy sessions with my therapist, to have a life coach, and to also have some rhythms where you know I, I took a more took more personal retreats, journaled more, and really found out like what is what is at the root of my lack of self esteem. What is at the root of some of the reasons why I struggle to speak up, or not charge the price that I should have. You know, mm-hmm. so it's been a journey for me, and I must say that it's I've learned a lot. <laughs> I've learned a lot about myself, but that has been my root, my focus because the personal, like you you asked the question, personal and professionally. I realized that these personal issues were impacting my professional life and I needed to address those first. I have a huge tendency to just focus on my professional life and ignore my personal, even my finances, my health. My finances were totally kind of still out of whack, but they were totally out of whack. And, and there's so many things that I wasn't addressing and it was impacting my ability to focus professionally. So I have made it, regardless of what's been happening around us, I have made it a point to focus on how can I maximize inner healing? How can I focus on the things that are keeping me from believing in myself? Because I want to show up one of the, the, I don't know if it's an affirmation or something I like to say a lot is I want to show up fully to the world, all of who I am, flaws and all. I want, I want to be able to maximize who I am, reach the highest part of myself so that others can too, right? So I realized that in order for me to do that, I need to do the work. And so that's been my my focus. I love that. I love that. That reminds me of something that I experienced to where like education and work was easy, right? (laughs) But emotions and feelings were hard. So it was easy for me to do all of this stuff, get a master's, get all of these accolades. But when Mm -hmm. I had to take the time to sit with me and assess me and accept me. I was so scared. Like it took years for me to actually get ready to do that. So I totally understand, but it's necessary. Cause like you said, you don't show up fully unless you actually can accept yourself fully. Right. Because if you don't accept it, you're going to hide it or, you know, perfectionism, so many things come into play, but once you accept yourself, it's like, Hey, this is me, take it or leave it. And, And you're okay with that. Right. So that's great. That's good. Yeah. All right. So tell us about your morning routine. My morning routine is really focused on 
I do a lot of reflective works or a lot of reflecting. I got a little bit into reflective writing. And so usually when I wake up in the morning, I have an app called Abide. It's one of my favorite apps. It's a meditation app. Okay. So they give you a specific scripture and you kind of meditate through it. And then usually I would like, you know, listen to a podcast to you know, motivate me. You know, sometimes you just need to hear other people's stories to help motivate you. And the stories that a lot of your guests have shared have been so real. So that helps me a lot. And usually I go for like a morning walk. So my schedule, because I know for some people are like, well, what if you work like a nine to five? How does that happen? So my schedule is a little bit more flexible. And I do teach. So usually my, I try to extend my mornings <laughs> to about 10 a.m., 1030, because I realized that the exercise, the praying, the meditation is actually a part of my workday. Mm. Like we have been taught that our, our work lives are, are separate from, like we compartmentalize a lot in, in the Western industrialized society. But we really forget that everything we do is a part of everything that we do, Right. So I've had to teach myself and a huge affirmation for me and intention for me is when I'm praying or when I'm doing my morning walks or doing reflective writing, it's helping me become a better professor or a better consultant. So that helped me a lot because I'm an achiever. So I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm an achiever. So that has helped me a lot to kind of set the tone for my day. So that's really something that I, I really try to do as often as I can. I haven't been good at it as of late, but when I do it, it just helps me become more sound, more productive, and more intentional about my work. Okay, thanks for that. I love what you said as far as it's a part of your work, right? And I agree with you that we have separated some things, even how you talked about the seeking therapy and having your life coach, right? Like that's a part of your work as well. And realizing that we're these whole individuals, like we're not, you know, we're not split in half where it's like, oh, this is work me. This is, you know, personal care me, right? It's like, this is me. So you have to incorporate all those things and make sure they're all a part of the big picture. So I love that. Exactly. We have to bring all of who we are. We bring, I think the, the issue is when we only bring half of ourselves to work or the things that we do, again, it's about maximizing who we are, right? So if, if I go to work and, and I may be having like not the greatest of days, but I probably could have had a better day if I took the time to recognize that praying and meditating and doing all of this, you know, inner work actually helps me engage my work better. It actually leads to more creativity. And what's interesting is people who meditate, people who do breathing exercises, they're able to maximize creativity. Like we forget that innovation starts within. Mm. I think it's great to read a book. I love listening to Simon Sinek and I love, you know, listening to really great leaders around like Carl, Carla Harris. But I think those, those things have their place. They're important. I also think that we undermine our, our ability to, find creativity within mm. and it's been a huge affirmation of mine to recognize that everything i need to do to accomplish actually starts within if i took the time to like sit like there's sometimes i'll be just ruminating over a client project and i'm like i know that there's a puzzle that's missing so sometimes i'll just sit close my eyes breathe ask the holy spirit to come and i have my aha moment and i'm able to write a 20 page strategic plan in like two hours because I took the time to breathe and think. So when we take the time to do that and bring all of ourselves to our work, I mean, it's creativity is limitless, limitless. So. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I could agree with you. Right. Cause I started back walking recently and I want to say mm -hmm. like I, I was on a leave from work and I went back to work. And when I went back to work, I was like, really, <sighs> I was like a what's the the B word, right? Like I know. <laughs> I was like so miserable, right? And I started walking every morning. And mm -hmm. I can't say that anyone at the place that I work at changed, right? But something within me changed. And I do attribute it to walking every morning. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. That's good. Good stuff. All right. So you led into both of the next questions. So I'm excited. <laughs> you talked about a few personal affirmations already, but were they your favorite ones or can you tell us, do you have a favorite one? 
man, perfect timing. Cause one of the ones that I started saying a lot. So when I was going through my healing process and dealing with, you know, sexual abuse and my past abuse, one of the, one of the core, I guess, lies, cause it's not a truth. It was a core truth to me, but that I realized was a lie was that I always feel unworthy because mm-hmm. of the mistakes and because of the abuse, not feeling like I'm worthy enough to receive love. And I remember when I was going through my heal, healing process, one of the words that, or I guess phrases that always took, stood out to me was, I am not a collection of my past mistakes and hurts. Mm. And every time I would say that, the reason why it was so meaningful for me is because every time I would approach friendships, work, life, just in general, I would approach it with, okay, I'm only going to, you know, I I don't feel like I'm worthy of even this friendship or this job. So I'm just going to try not to bother anyone and just try to keep myself over here. And I really just felt so weak and, and felt like just unworthy. I just felt not worthy of love, not worthy of what I was doing. So I had to remind myself that I am not a collection of the mistakes that I've made. I'm not a collection of the words that were said to me. And I had to remind myself of new words, new scripture, that I am worthy of love. I'm worthy of acceptance. One of our core needs as human beings is worthiness. Like we want to feel like we're worthy, that we're seeing. And when you've dealt with childhood trauma, that trauma kind of, it, it, it interacts with that um, unworthiness because you begin to feel like, well, if I was abused, if I was rejected, how can anyone love me? Mm-hmm. So I've had to do a lot of work around worthiness. And that was one phrase that just, it did something for me. It really, it, it, it woke up something within myself to say, you know what? I'm not a collection of my past failures and mistakes. I am worthy of growth, worthy of like having that growth mindset. Like I'm worthy of growing and healing and seeing that all that God has to offer. I'm worthy of that. And that has really, really changed my life. Really I love has. that. Yeah. And as you were talking, you reminded me, right? Cause, cause listen, listeners, right? She talked about how she loves to attend retreats, but she also throws them as well. And you reminded me of when I attended your retreat, I recall that the first thing I wrote was, I am worthy. That's good. Like, I really, you know, that was the first thing I wrote in my notebook. So you actually just reminded me of that. And it is important to understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's actually this uh, thought process. I, I think Joe Saxton talks a lot about it. She's a great author. And she talks about this, like, three-legged stool is something I love to talk about, identity, worth, and purpose. So identity is rooted in something that's bigger than us. So I talk a lot about identity because whenever we're attacked, whenever we're spiritually attacked, the first part of us that gets hit is identity. So if someone tells me that I'm stupid, then that becomes the foundation of how I see myself. So it's important for us to see that our identity is rooted in, for me, my identity is rooted in God. I always tell people that. So you have to ask yourself, what is your identity rooted in? It needs to be rooted in something bigger, not your accolades, not your degree, something bigger. And then the other piece is worthiness. So now that I know who I am, do I understand my value, my inherent value? So value is not tied to what you do. It's tied to you being human. Hmm. And then the next piece is purpose. So now that I know that I have an identity, right, that's rooted in something bigger, I know that I have value, I'm able to take those two pieces and to inform my purpose. Now I know, okay, if, if I know that I, my identity is rooted in my faith, I am valuable and I'm passionate about changing the world, I'm worthy of being a part of that change or effectuating change. But those three pieces have to work together. And that's something that I've been doing for myself, but I, I really, really recommend doing that work as well as you do your work too, because it's very critical. I love that. Thanks for that. All right. As you're hearing in this episode, Tammy talks about her purpose as far as making an impact. And if you know anything about me, you know that I want to make an impact as well. One way that I am aiming to make an impact is by creating the Win Hers United membership group. This will be a monthly membership where we'll come together to learn more, to keep each other accountable, to co-work, and so much more. If you're interested in being a part of the WinHers United monthly membership, send me an email at winhersunited at gmail.com. All right, so you've mentioned a few authors. 
So tell us about the last book that you read or listened to. So the last book that I'm reading, and I feel so bad because I can't remember the name of the author. I'm so sorry. But there's a book called Mastering Your Emotions. Okay. A dear friend of mine, shout out to Nisha Hodge because she hooked me up with this book. And this book talks about where, the, where do emotions come from? Honestly, from an evolutionary standpoint, which I thought was really interesting, and also from a psychological standpoint. And the reason why that book has been so, I'm still in the process of reading it, but that book has been so powerful to me is because we give our emotions a lot of weight because, I mean, if you think about it, like if you just have like a bad moment in a day, it can ruin the rest of the day, right? <laughs> so he talks a lot about how to identify emotions, identify the root of them, but also managing them. So it's around emotional intelligence, but he talks about it in a way that's a lot more, I want to say like getting to the root of where do emotions come from? Mm. So highly recommend it's been changing my life. And that made me think of, right? Cause I used to be so caught up in my feelings. Oh, you hurt my feelings. Oh, this with feelings, that with feelings. And one time my younger sisters told me, she said, feelings aren't facts, mm. right? And I, I was offended. I'm like, what? What do you mean feelings aren't facts? It's a fact I feel some kind of way, right? <laughs> I that. No, but I, I love what you said as far as just the amount of weight that we give to something that can be gone in a second. Because for me, I'll be mad. Like when I'm upset about something, I'll call whoever I want to call to vent let's say that person doesn't answer the phone and they try to call me back an hour later. I don't want to, I'm over it. Look, I'm over it. <laughs> answer. I'm not going back down that lane. Right. So just in paying attention to how fast feelings can change. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's an important thing to consider as well. Yeah. And they always say, you know, when you think about emotional intelligence, you know, there was an article by the Harvard Business Review, and it was saying that EQ is more valuable than an MBA. Mm, yeah. And I thought that that was so interesting. But if you think about it, someone can have brilliance and knowledge and all, all that innovation. But if you don't know how to build relationships or interact or read people's emotions, you're not going to make it that far. I mean, have you ever been around someone who's not self-aware? I have. And it undermined the, uh, the organizational or operational effectiveness of our organization mm -hmm. just because this person was not self-aware. Mm -hmm. So even though they may have the degrees and had all of this experience, but their lack of self-awareness really undermined the culture of the organization. So being emotionally intelligent, especially in this day and age and technology and all that kind of stuff, is just very important. Very, very, very important. I agree. All right. Thanks for that. All right. So tell us what you do to stay on the cutting edge in your field. Oh, I love that question too. Thank you. <laughs> so I actually want to start and say that the name of my company is Anovo. And the reason why I call it Anovo is because Anovo, I'm probably going to get this wrong. You could Google it. But Anovo is a Latin word for like innovation, but it also means renewal, to repurpose, to redesign. And the reason why that word, I remember when I, you know, did the, found the name of my company, I was so emotional because I knew that that is what I want to do. I wanted to look at old problems, even new problems, and redefine how we're going to address them. So for me to really stay in the forefront of innovation, I do a lot of reading. So I'm a huge fan of the Stanford Social Innovation Review. That's really something that I, they talk a lot about different philanthropic models because that's my work. It's around philanthropy, social impact, and social innovation. And even in my work in fundraising, I'm always trying to find new ways of articulating information around fund development, board development. Like what are some ways we can reimagine our work? So that's a question that I love to ask especially my clients, is how can we reimagine reforming the police system? How can we reimagine reforming mass incarceration? Hmm. Or even the, ch the child welfare system needs a lot of work. So my goal is to equip leaders with reimagining their models, how they fundraise, how they look at their operations, and what can we do differently? I think, like, I, I love the curiosity of a five-year-old, right? They're always asking, why, why, why do you do this? Have you thought about this? 
And so there's a part of me that wants to tap into my five-year-old self and say, well, why did you choose that model? Why did you choose that specific intervention to address systemic racism? And so in my work, the way I really work to stay at the cutting edge is when I learn a new model around, you know, engaging, so say, for example, health equity, I immediately start applying. It may not be perfect. So I have my clients kind of work with me and say, hey, work with me here. But let's reimagine how you do this specific, specific social innovation. So the work that I do, the, the, the key piece of my work, I even feel like my calling is around helping institutions and systems rethink how they deliver purpose and value to the world. I like that. Yeah. And you know, you, you brought up a good point, right? Which can be uncomfortable for people because I know I have a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. So once you hear why a certain number of times, you're totally over it. Like, get away from me. Stop asking me why, right? So just imagine, you know, so I can just, it makes me imagine how people in a workplace, because we get stuck in our ways, yes. right? We get stuck where, how they say sometimes, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Or sometimes it is broke, but we don't want to, just because it's, it hasn't broken down, doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not broke right so it is broke but mm-hmm. people don't want to fix it because it's still quote unquote working so i could imagine how you and those wise may mm-hmm. you know people's nerves for lack of a better term but i love that <laughs> you know it's necessary right like are you going to keep doing the same thing that's been done the last 50 years or do, or do you want to try another way and see what great things can happen as a result yeah and i think even in my work we do a, i do a lot of work around mission and vision so when you know when it comes to that question why 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 my way of asking that question without asking the why 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 question is by asking people okay what is your mission statement what is your vision and how does that align with what you're doing and if it's not aligning what's causing that so i try to find other questions to kind of assess where is the breakdown and how can we get back to what our core purpose in order to achieve impact Okay. Okay. So a lot of gap analysis sounds like. Yes. Yes. There you go. Oh, yeah. Look, you're talking my language. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. All right. So what was the toughest struggle you had to overcome and tell us how you overcame? Honestly, I would say the toughest struggle was most certainly going back to what I've been through in my childhood and my past. It was a decade long journey and it still hasn't ended, but I, I felt like, you know, it was, it was God's time in my twenties of all times of my life, but it was that time of my life where I had to really deep, deep into my story. So one thing I always share with people, when we think about leadership development, how do we become soulful leaders is I truly believe that the first piece is engaging your story. And when I had to write my story down, Nicole, I mean, that was hard. I I went through this really awesome retreat for women who had been sexually abused. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was one of the most powerful retreats I have ever been through, but the hardest. Mm. I had to engage every aspect of my story, every aspect of my abuse. And it was very difficult. It was spiritual warfare, like to the nth degree. But as I look back, because when I was going through it, my relationships were affected. I I remember I stopped talking to my parents for like two, three years because they were a part of that story. I think I stopped talking to my family for years because it was, you're literally like digging deep into the root of why, like, why do you operate the way you do? And a lot of that's attached to your trauma. So it was a very difficult season, like between age 21 to 27, it was, a, I call it the dark ages. It, was, <laughs> it really was the dark ages. And I remember even when I started out my career right after grad school, I dealt with a lot of depression and suicide. I would go into our bathroom and I would just have a moment of just either an interaction with someone who, who triggered something and I'll go into the bathroom and cry for like two hours. Because that is how depressed I was. And when, like, when the work week was over and it was Saturday, Sunday, I would be just totally closed up in my house, depressed and not talking to anyone. It was a very, very difficult time for me. But, you know, 
as I look at where I am now, I think of thought patterns, behaviors, styles of relating that I no longer really kind of like attach myself to because I dealt with my story. So even though it was super difficult, I can't even begin to express how difficult it was. It woke me up to myself. It allowed me to engage with God and experience him in a way that I give him all glory, honor, and praise. And it also gave me a newfound love for myself, but also compassion for others too. Because mm. when you begin to find healing, you begin to recognize like, now I know why my mom does what she does or how she responds or how my sister or my brother, like you begin, or people or my friends or people around me. And it's not a way to judge. So this is not what I'm saying at all. I'm more so saying that it just gives you an understanding that we all have been through something. So let's show each other a little bit, just a little more love and a little bit more compassion and grace because I was that person. I retaliated, but now I know that there are other options. I don't have to live out of my trauma. I can actually live out of freedom. (laughs) And that can be my new story. I love that. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I can relate. Yeah. And it does. It gives you an empathy for people that you never had before because you didn't have an empathy for yourself. Right. So I, I, I didn't give myself a break. How can I give you one? Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the term that you said though, a soulful leader. I just want to sit with that. Yes. To me, that just mm-hmm. speaks volumes. Right. Cause a lot of times where is stuff coming from? Is it coming from my soul? Or is it coming from other places, right? So I love that. That was a great term. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell us about an aha moment that you had lately and how you've changed as a result. Man, these questions are so great. When I was telling you earlier that I, I'm spending time doing inner work, a lot of these questions make sense because I had a huge aha moment back in March. Ooh. I was taking, some things had happened with my family, some conflict had happened and I was upset and stuff from my childhood started coming up. And so I I decided to take, usually when I'm tired and I know I'm spiritually tired, I take a personal retreat. I'm really big on going away and spending kind of like what Jesus did, right? He went away to spend time with his father. So I took some time off. I went to Atlanta because I just love Atlanta. So I got an Airbnb in like Atlanta And I remember I took some time to pray. I was prayer walking and I was kind of processing with God, like, gosh, I'm so mad at my family. Like, why do they always do this? Like, I'm trying to be better. And I was getting so angry, putting like a temper tantrum. (laughs) And God said, you react. That's literally what he said. Hmm. You react. What I want you to stop doing is reacting. Hmm. He was, and God just began to tell me the work that he has done, the work that he is doing. And I, even till this day, like just talking about it, I get emotional because he was so right. And basically what he meant by that was whenever, especially with my family, my family could, is my, I love my family, but it can all, it could also be, my family can be a source of pain and hurt at times. Mm -hmm. And whenever I have a conflict with a family member, I have to remind myself that I don't have to always react because I did. I mean, I was, I was so manical to the point where I felt physically drained. Mm-hmm. And I just felt the Lord say that you don't need to always react. Come to me, run to me, run to me. I am your source. Just run to me. Whenever you feel like you've lost hope, run to me. I will be your hope. I will be your advocate. And that changed my life because now when I, even with friends, when there's conflict, I don't react. I find ways. First of all, I, I take a step back I don't react or I try not to react or I run to God and I try to find another way to kind of like see the situation. And Mm -hmm. if I do feel like I need to have a conversation, I will. And if I don't, I let the Lord take over. He always takes over regardless if I need a conversation or not, but it's taught me how to view situations, specifically conflict differently. Mm -hmm. And it really has given me so much peace. Like I I'm so at peace. I love it. Right. Yeah. You know what I found with, because I can relate, mm-hmm. I found that I had to re- teach people how to deal with me all over, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're used to the hothead Nicole, because trust me, I have a PhD, 
and being a hothead, right? <laughs> Certified, right? But now I, I live a different lifestyle, right? And it is, I agree, it's so peaceful. But when people are used to conflict, they'll keep trying to poke the bear because they want, you know, even though it's dysfunction, they're used to the dysfunction. They're not used to the calm person, right? So you have to redefine, like, no, we're not going to do that. And I'm not going to allow this. And you can be upset. you like, you can want the dysfunction all you want, but I'm not giving it to you. And then I feel like after a while they learn like, okay, that's not going to work anymore. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. It's a new way of relating. to Right. Yeah. yeah. I love it. All right. So tell us about a leadership principle or practice that governs your life. So I would say a principle that matters to me in leadership and just honestly in general, but specifically in leadership is humility. Like I value humility. And I, I, I sometimes say this too, because the thing with humility is we have to be humble, but we also have to, how can I say, we also have to be confident ourselves too, like confident humility, <laughs> if that exists. Mm -hmm. But I truly believe that uh, my value system is we're all created to produce greatness, mm. regardless of where you're from. You could be in the slums of Bangladesh. You could be in the projects of Queens. It doesn't matter where you are from. It doesn't matter what role you have. Everyone is capable of producing greatness. So if we view others that way, that means that the way we approach them, we don't just approach someone just because you know they may have a certain title doesn't mean they shouldn't be treated with honor and grace. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's so important to have that value system. It has, it drives me so much too, especially in the, in the work that I do around social impact. There's a, there's some times where we view our work as when we're, when we're helping people who come from the socioeconomic status, these are the labels we like to put on people. It's like, we come in as a savior mm -hmm. and it's like, no, we need to co-create solutions with people who are in that context. Mm -hmm. They are more, they're equipped, they have creativity. They may not have the degree, but let me tell you something, they have creativity. And we need to approach our brothers and sisters with the mentality that they are capable, if not even more capable than us. So humility is what really drives my work. And it's really drives how I work even with my clients as they work with their beneficiaries. It's making sure that they recognize that the people that they serve are leaders. They're drivers of change. We just need to give them the resources and the tools to maximize their potential. So humility, it, it interacts with everything that I do, how I want to approach others, how I approach my work, and how I, I help my clients, even myself, approach those who are serving as well. I love that. Yeah, and I do. I believe that that's a key leadership principle that a lot of people don't necessarily have right like you get a certain air to yourself and that air to mm -hmm. yourself can have you miss out on some things because like you said like the people that are in it they know but they not they don't necessarily have the voice right, right. so allowing people to have a voice and respecting people regardless of title or background it is something that needs to be more prevalent so that's awesome definitely yeah all right. So what advice do you have for an up and coming entrepreneur? So the advice that I have for entrepreneurs, especially in this day and age, I, I, I just can't say this enough, but I, I really believe that we do need to do the inner work. I mean, we have access. Let me tell you something, Nicole. We, we have access to so much information so much innovation like we are we are in an age of the information age we're like in this fourth industrial revolution is what they like to call it like artificial intelligence analytics i mean we have access to so many tools to change the world right like there is you can start a business and it become you can scale it to a multi-billion dollar business with obviously with the right resources and tools so there's there's so much opportunity in this time and just generation there's still there access is still an issue. It's something that we definitely need to work on. And I'm glad it's kind of like at the forefront of conversation. But even in that, there's a lot of opportunity. But one thing that we forget as a society and as a people is that it true work starts within. So when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a business, 
it's important for you to realize that this is a long-term game mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship is not easy. Mm-mm. It will reveal your insecurities. It will reveal so many things. Trust me, it revealed a lot of things about myself. This is literally, it was entrepreneurship that forced me to get into the work of inner healing because I realized if I do not deal with some of these styles of relating and these insecurities, I will not go far in my business. So that's why I invested in therapy and life coach and community and all these different pieces to help me go through that process. So for someone who's interested in starting on that journey, ask yourself, where are you at with yourself, with your identity, worth, and purpose? So those three questions, what is your identity rooted in? It cannot be rooted in your degree. Again, your accomplishments, because those things will fail you, right? Where is your value rooted in? And how, how connected are you are to your purpose, right? And purpose is constantly being revealed. So you may think one year, like, oh, like when I started out consulting, I thought I was just going to work with nonprofits. Now I'm like, I want to work with corporations and foundations. I want to work with governments. So it evolves. But at the end of the day, my purpose, my core purpose is impact. And I have to believe that I am worthy And again, going back to what we talked about earlier and that my identity is rooted in something bigger. So I think for any entrepreneur, whenever you're looking to start something, look within. I have a dear friend. I got to give Craig Chavis a shout out because he talks about this a lot too. So I want to give him credit. But he always says, when you are trying to begin something, look within. Mm -hmm. And so I would just urge, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, make sure you've, even as you're starting, make sure you prioritize that inner work too. I love that. I love that. And I can relate because I thought I was all right. Like I wasn't, I thought I was good. I was like, I'm going to help everyone else with leadership. And then I got smacked in the face. Like, no, you need help with leadership. Let's help you while you also help other people. Right. So I do, I agree with that. And I do agree that I came to a point where some of my behaviors were, I knew they were holding me back. Right. They were they weren't serving the future me that I see, right? And I knew I had to let go if I wanted to keep going. So it, it was entrepreneurship. And I, I thank you for shedding some light on that. Yeah, yeah. but entrepreneurship is all about mindset. So if you'll see a lot of like thought leaders talk about mindset work, mindset work, but it is your mindset. It is your ability to like growth. We talk about growth mindset, this concept of mm-hmm. not allowing failure to undermine your ability to grow as a leader. So whenever you deal with failure, you deal with rejection or deal with opposition or even constructive criticism, you know, your ability to handle that and your ability to grow from those moments is what's going to get you farther. But if you're constantly allowing those pressures, because entrepreneurship is mentally draining work. It's, mm-hmm. And it's spiritually, physically draining. It is not easy to be an entrepreneur. And I think sometimes we don't talk about that enough. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be in this long-term game, what are you doing to fill yourself up? Like, you know, we talk about you can't draw from an empty well. So what is filling up your well? Who is watering your garden? Who are your mentors? Who's your community? Who is filling you up? And what is filling you up? Healthy things filling you up in order to pursue this long-term journey of entrepreneurship. It's very important. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for that. All right. So do you have a favorite quote that you like to share with us? I would say, I would say maybe a Bible verse that I love that I've been reading a lot on and it's also an affirmation is i think it's in first peter 2 where it says we are royal priesthood okay set apart and a lot of that is attached to identity for me and i think the reason why it's hitting me a lot in this season is because the world is obviously in shambles i mean it's been in shambles for a while but now it's like shambles times 20 million and i've had to remind myself that and in my faith in christianity you know we 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 believe that we're not of this world, right? The world does not inform inform who we are. So I can look at a social media post. I can look at quotes or whatever, and it, it doesn't inform who I am. It is God who informs who I am. And so the reason why I love that quote so much is because it just reminds me that even with, with everything that's going on, even with the challenges that I face personally, I may have a failed business. My business will, if it fails, if everything falls apart, I am still royal priesthood. 
Mm. And nothing, no one can take that away because Jesus died just so that I can be a part of God's family. So sometimes like I have to remind myself that yes, my work that I do is important to me. I want to make an impact. I want to change the world. But even if God were to strip all of that away, I'm still worthy. I still have a strong identity and my purpose is just tied to me existing. That That's fine too. <laughs> So that has been a, a quote or a verse that has been really driving me in this season. I love that. And that ties back to value, right? I was listening to my church service last week and he left us with five points. And one of the points was you will never lose your value, right? <sighs> so just to think about that, right? With all of the hurt, abuse, let's say bank financial issues, you know, uh, whatever, whatever it is, right? That you'll never lose your value. I think that's an awesome thing to consider and to internalize and, and to believe. Right? That's right. And I think even as people of color, like we live in a world where people say that our lives don't matter, where we see it every day. We see what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and what happened to Flamel Castile and, and Oscar Grant. And I think like even as a black woman, you know, I'm not only just dealing with my trauma. I, I, I share this a lot with even people around me and my friends that I have to deal with my the trauma of my past and the trauma of racism. Mm-hmm. Coupled together, you can literally lose your ever loving mind. I'm telling you, it is tough. So if it's not for God, his word and his healing, it will be really hard for me because I've had to deal with my own trauma. Now I have to be constantly reminded every time I turn on the television that my life, does my life even matter? We're not even talking about, am I valuable? Am I worth it? We're just talking about, do I matter? Like the fundamental like existence of human being. I don't know, but like, it's like fundamental. Do I even matter as a black person? Mm -hmm. And so as a black woman in this country, and you know, I think there's a quote by Malcolm X and he says, I think it's like the most, disrespected woman in America is the black woman. I think it was a quote that he said. And it's like, we're constantly attacked. So as people, as black people, you know, we, one of the things I, I love about our history is we, when you hear like, oh, Negro spirituals, or you, you think about our, our, our history as a people, we are such resilient yeah. people. And, you know, when I hear my friends and I say this too, like when I need strength, I call on my ancestors, <laughs> right? Because they are, they give us strength. They remind us that if I, if they made it through, I can too. So yeah. I think even this day and age, like we have to go again, going back to the original thought, we have to look within yeah. because the world is going to fail us, but God never will. Our ancestors didn't. And so we have to look within. Okay. Thanks for that. A great, great way to end it off. You're amazing. Look, I couldn't have, I couldn't have, that wasn't scripted, guys. <laughs> well, before I let you tell us or tell the listeners where to find you or about any offers or events, I like to throw in these questions. To me, this is the fun segment, right? And it's about travel because I love travel. It's a little weird considering that we, you know, we're kind of stagnated currently. But can you tell us where your last vacation was? What's your favorite vacation place? And where your next vacation will be once that's able to occur? Oh, gosh, man. Well, my last vacation is technically it was Atlanta. But my real, real vacation, I went to Chicago. Love Chicago. Great, great city. So would love to go again. I did the, all the sightseeing stuff. Ate so much pizza. Love, love, love Chicago and love the live music there. And I actually, the, the part that breaks my heart is I had a month and a half trip planned oh, in wow. end of May and June. So one of my dearest friends was getting married in Turkey. Oh. So I had planned a whole trip out of it. I was supposed to fly into Morocco, spend a week there, go to Turkey. Then I was supposed to go to Greece and spend two weeks in Northern Italy, in Tuscany for a retreat. So, you know, I love to retreat. So I was like, what the mountains of Italy? all got canceled. My goal is to replicate that trip. And I I hope my friend is able to reschedule her wedding, but that was supposed to be my lifetime, like that, that trip of a lifetime. I was that my eat, pray, love trip. That was supposed to be my trip. So we'll see. 
Okay. All right. Look, let me know. I'm like, look, pack me in your suitcase. For real, for real. Yes. Now, which, where's your favorite vacation spot, though? So I would say my favorite vacation spot is Haiti. Okay. I love Haiti. I know when you see images of Haiti, they don't show you the good parts of Haiti. It drives me crazy. So I'm just going to do it. I love to plug in friends more than myself. So I'm going to plug in Haiti Tourism. Very in, in, in incredible company. They highlight Haiti. I think they had a partnership with Travel Noir as well, but Haiti is a beautiful country. And I may be biased because I'm, I'm, my family is from there, but I love to vacation in Haiti. Jacmel, Okap, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay. Thanks for that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, Tammy. I appreciate just how open you were, how deep you were, how you informed us about things that we need to know about. Like it's really, really been a, a great time. Oh, thank you for having me too. Thank you for the platform that you create for women of color and just for creating space for us to amplify our voices and our stories. So I just commend you, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. But before I let you go, tell the listeners where they can find you directly, your social media, your website, anything particular that you would want them to know. I would say the easiest place to connect, connect with me is LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I love connecting, collaborating. If you're passionate about social impact and innovation, definitely let's talk. The name of my company is Anovo Strategies. So if you go to www.anovo, so it's I-N-O-V-O strategies.com, you'll learn more about my company there as well. But LinkedIn, let's definitely link up. I love collaborating, talking, and, and sharing ideas on LinkedIn. Okay. And I'll be sure to include your link on the webpage. So yeah. awesome. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great rest you. of the day. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, be empowered and empower on.